welcome to the Time Shifters podcast. I'm your host, Christopher. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. I would love to hear from you, and there are several ways to get in touch with the show. Look for the Time Shifters podcast group on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Time Shifters Pod, or you can send us a typed or recorded message to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and please check us and our fellow podcasters out over on podchaser.com. Please rate and review the show at any of these outlets. All these links can be found on timeshifterspodcast.com. Now let's head to the Timeshifter studio and start the show. Everyone, welcome back to Time Shifters. This is Christopher, and I'm here with Tom. Howdy, sir. Tom, how the heck have you been? Oh, just wonderful. I mean, weather is crazy. Uh, looking forward to a vacation soon, coming back to the uh, greater Cincinnati area. Yes, I'm hoping to actually see you this time. Yes. Uh, for, for longer than just a quick visit, hopefully we can actually go out and maybe grab some dinner or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah, talking about the weather, my gosh, I don't know if you had it. We had like a good day and a half of rain. Oh, yeah. And it was solid, like downpour rain for a day and a half, thunder and lightning. Then it, it left, and the weather has been absolutely gorgeous ever since. Yeah, we had a bit of a clear out, too. I understand you guys even had a bit of a tornado scare in the area. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> reading the news stories apparently uh i did not hear any sirens nothing local to me but yeah uh in in the tri-state area we had a couple uh tornado watches and warnings so yeah it was a it was a hell of a hell of a storm it was really funny it was over the weekend and that weekend i just decided i was in the mood to watch some classic trek yes so i pulled out my uh i pulled out my original series blu-rays and I, I started, I'd gone through most of season one not that long ago. So I thought, well, you know what? Season two, those are, there's a lot in season two that are episodes that even when Star Trek airs on TV, they're just not the ones that typically show up for some reason, even though some of them are really great. Yeah. So I started burning through some season two and I got to the Apple. Yes. Uh, where they, you know, they go to the planet with the, uh, the people with the white hair and you know worshiping the giant dinosaur mountain one. Yes, yes, yes. And there's a scene where you know something happens, and you know Vol, the evil, the the robotic entity or whatever, sends in a big storm, and a and the lightning flashes, and there's a, a big bolt of lightning on the screen, and my power went out. <laughs> <laughs> it couldn't have been timed any better. I'm just sitting there. here thinking. <laughs> Thank God I wasn't wearing a red shirt or I might have been killed. <laughs> yes, no, uh, thank God for that. On that, though, watching these old tracks, it's not like I really forgot how much I love them, but it's like I've been reminded how much I love yeah. them. <laughs> I mean, I watch them now, and yes, there are moments in everything that are a little problematic in 2021. Right. But... In between some of that, there are flashes of genius in those episodes. Whether it's the writing or the acting, no one will, you know, William Shatner maybe is the only one that knows at this point. Right. But there are just moments that are just so, so good. You can't help but just sometimes chuckle, sometimes smile, sometimes just go, ooh, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it was the birth of hope. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't want to overstate it, but I mean, this was a series that actually suggested that humanity could actually go the right way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I was even surprised, even some of them, in some of the lesser episodes, I was watching Cat's Paw. Yeah. Which is, That's you know, an eh pretty far down on the list of fan favorites but there was a scene where our, our trio spock mccoy and kirk wake up chained to a wall and they're 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 all coming to there's the three of them along the wall and on the and then they're in like the fourth spot is like a skeleton yeah chained to the wall and kirk 
looks up and he he turns towards McCoy and call starts to call him by his nickname. He goes Bones and he sees the skeleton, a doctor. <laughs> I'm like, that's great. I had never noticed that before. Well, it, it dresses up that uh, otherwise mediocre episode. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I, I, I. I we should really look up uh, the air date for that particular one. It, Cause that one always felt like the Halloween special. <laughs> yes. I, I could be very wrong. I want to say it aired around Halloween, oh, right. but I could be, I could be completely wrong that that might be like you were saying, that just might be my own, you know, uh, mind cannon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause it, it just kind of has that feel. Cause it, uh, that, the, the black cat, the witchcraft almost. Yeah. Right. But I have been watching them. I have been enjoying them. I have been watching them, watching them with the enhanced special effects, which I'm not going to lie. I love. No. I, I think they did a masterful job with that original series. No, a- absolutely. Cause they only tucked it in where it would be. It, it wouldn't disrupt the original actual scenes or anything like that. It is literally just an enhancement. It took the the old crappy looking uh, exterior shots and dressed them up a little better. But we're lovingly right. still using that campy, cheesy 60s look, just making it feel a little more real. Yeah. Nope. I love the fact that they didn't really add anything that wasn't already there right they just they just eliminated the ships on a stick right yes and gave everything a little bit more a little bit more depth and a little bit more movement and uh yeah but they didn't like okay let's add a scene where you know there was nothing like that they didn't extend any action scenes or anything like that it's just what was there it's just tweaked I'm like, and I just, I just love it. Yeah, and they didn't like retcon the heck out of it, so. <laughs> right. Yeah, and yeah, again, watching this, I'm sorry, the 1701, prettiest ship in the universe. I'm just, there is no comparison for me. It is the original. It's kind of hard to beat. <laughs> She's not my favorite Enterprise, but. No. No, and uh, my my favorite Enterprise is always a. Uh, it, it is a dodgy choice for most anyways because uh i actually like enterprise c oh well the uh, the the only briefly seen the, the only um, briefly seen uh the ambassador class i i know my ships right. fairly well so um but no <laughs> it was such for me that one was such a beautiful transition piece between original series constitution class and enterprise d galaxy class it just right looked amazing so and completely erased the disgusting excelsior class yes 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 <laughs> the excelsior that that fat bathtub of a, <laughs> of a starship hated hated the look of that ship yeah no that one was ridiculous no no i don't think b is anybody's favorite Nope. <laughs> the Excelsior. And B, uh, but B had flares. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now I do have a, a lot of love for uh, the movie version Enterprise, yes. um, seventeen hundred one and seventeen hundred one A. Yeah. But uh, but it, if push came to shove and I could only keep one, I'll I'll take the original series seventeen hundred one. I can't remember the artist. Um, there is an artist. Uh, I actually kind of have an appreciation for um, uh, Star Trek Discovery's retcon of the original Enterprise. Mm. I, I think it's actually a rather lovely interpretation of original series Enterprise. But uh, there was an artist uh, whose concept was being considered as well. And his is absolutely amazing. It's literally like if you took... The original series Enterprise, it has all the same shape, all the same dimensions and all that. It just makes it look like it is a real in in this world um, ship. Like it even nice. still does the dish off the front. It just enhances the look of the dish to make it look like it's not just a, uh, a bowl on a stick. 
Right, <laughs> so, right, right. So, yeah, I absolutely think that's amazing. So, yeah, the original Constitution class is always going to be a charmer. And that's another thing, too, with the uh, the enhanced, you know, when they revisualized the Enterprise, mm-hmm. obviously they kept it looking just, you know, the same shape and as everything the as, yep. as the original series. But they just provided a little bit of detail. You know, some of the beauty shots you see, like the uh, the slight variations in the uh, the plates yeah. of, of, of metal on the, on, the, on the hull of the ship it's just and everything. Not a flat, matte, plastic finish. <laughs> right, exactly. It's not all white. Yeah, smooth. Looks like it's been extruded rather than built. <laughs> no, in fact, if you watch any of the stuff about the effects for like uh, the uh, the motion picture when they yes. did do the refit, and of course the, they had all those beauty shots, the ship itself still looks different than what you got in the movie because it the the filming techniques and the lighting couldn't pick up all the enhancements that they did in the plating and all that so right. it still ends up looking just kind of like white <laughs> but yeah, apparently I'm it's so one much of the, more I'm, uh, I'm one of the few people that really appreciate the Starship porn uh, that is the like five minute <laughs> the, gratuitous uh, flyover of the Enterprise, the movie Enterprise the best is I went to uh, there, there was like a sci-fi convention in the DC area that I went to and they had a giant uh, model of the Enterprise um, from the movie the, the, the NCCU oh yeah yeah um, they had that and it was all it was like it was like a movie style prop and it was all decked out in the light. Like you could look inside and you could see the, uh, um, the botanical garden in the lower section and all of that. Right. Right. Um, but what was funny is they ran it through a sequence. So it would start completely powered down and then they'd start playing the music from the motion picture Oh, and then they start the powering on sections of it as the music built, and they took it all the way through um, the first jump to warp speed, and even the nacelles went off when it did it. <laughs> like, nice. Ah, this is awesome. I'm like having a nerd gasm right there in front, of, <laughs> in front of all these people. Like, oh, I can even see it in my head. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah that was great. It's interesting that you're you're uh, making your way through the original series. Uh, I actually lately am making my way through DS Nine. Oh, that's not anything that I will I will I will ever do. <laughs> really? Yeah, I'm not a not a huge DS Nine fan, and, and neither am I. Uh, but I've decided I need to give it a shot. First, I have a bunch of friends that they they swear by it, um, and. Yeah. What when it was originally on, it suffered from um, syndication hell. Um, they were constantly moving it around. Plus, at this point, we're like in our mid twenties. Uh, by the time that's running, and life is evolving, that where you're not in front of a TV very often necessarily. So I know I missed huge hunks of the show. So I. I only into season four, but I've torn through them fairly quickly, and uh, and it will still not go down by any measure as my favorite of tracks. But how many seasons did that seven. run? Seven? seven. That's what I think. I think I went through. I know I went through at least season three. Might have gone into a little bit into four, and I think that's where I was like. I just kind of tapped out. I didn't, you know, it just wasn't holding, holding me. It just felt like too many, there was, it felt like there was too many times where I, I always called it like chasing the ratings where it's like, Oh, ratings are dipping. So let's have a war or have Jadzi in a, in a bathing suit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's probably fairly accurate. Um, and actually I, I find as I watch it, uh, I, I'm completely over the trills as a as a thing, right? And was equally dismayed now when Discovery added a trill to their mm. uh, to their lineup. I'm like, I, 
you you keep just making stuff up to like there there's no good continuity to to a the trills or at least not that i'm seeing in the conversation so right um yeah so but i i actually find i'm enjoying it more than i thought and it's kind of nice because uh i mean when trek is kind of a little all over the map when the new stuff this feels comfortable it still fits Mm. nicely into the next gen kind of model and um and since i haven't really seen most of them it's like getting to watch a brand new series so yeah i i think after season three is probably when i started dipping in and out because mm-hmm. i know i saw some stuff much later i probably saw the finale um or something like that and and and, and a little bit here and there in between maybe someday i'll i'll re-watch it um just to be a completist and actually see yeah. every episode um, I feel a little bit that way on Voyager too. Yeah, I need uh, to do I that watched with a, Voyager as well. I watched a, I watched two or three seasons of that, and then tapped out of that, and then just I saw a few things when it happened to come up on Sci-Fi or BBC America or what you know whatever network would happen to have it on, and I wasn't doing anything, flipping through the channel kind of thing, and I'd watch an episode or two. And again, that one too is kind of like, well, how did it end? You know, so I saw like the finale. <laughs> yeah, and that's for both of those series. I can honestly say I've never seen their finales, and oh, okay. both series. I won't say anything. Both series, like <laughs> Next Gen, they actually got to run their course and end. Um, right. Not a lot of series get that, so. No. Star Trek, I think, outside of the original series, all the uh, follow-ups, I think, actually are one of the rare occurrences that I think they've all had the opportunity to go, this'll be it. This'll be our last season. Um, Enterprise is a little... uh, It got forced into it. Yeah, unfortunately. It wasn't intended to end on the season it did, but they wrapped it anyway. Yeah, the last half of that season was them <laughs> going, oh, okay, we're going to wrap this up. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, they had a goal to get to. Yeah, because uh, I find myself, uh, because I'm always in love with the ships of Star Trek, um, there are lots of wonderful YouTube series that like to delve into the various ships of all the things. And uh, there is a refit version of the NX-01. Um, I even got mm-hmm. the little Eagle Moss uh, ship. Yeah, for with it. the secondary hall added with to that, it and everything. Which, yeah, which makes it start to look more like the Constitution class. Right. Um, and there was talk that that was supposed to fit into that next season of Enterprise had they gotten the chance to do it. Because it was supposed to go into the Romulan War and all that. Right. And... I feel like that was a missed opportunity. That could have been fun. Yeah, probably. Probably. Yeah, it would have been. Um, yeah, that's another thing. When I was cleaning it off, um, I'd recently redid our uh, home office and had to move some bookshelves. And I was pulling some books off the, the shelves and everything. And I came across my uh, uh, Star Trek History of the Future. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at it like, oh, wow, look at that. That's all wrong now. <laughs> <laughs> Because it was pre-Enterprise, and so there's lots of images of the you know, first warp ship and the uh, the Enterprise, the previous Enterprise before the Constitution, you know, right. and all this. I'm like, yep, yep, not here. Nope. <laughs> not, it's not what it looked like. Nope. Didn't happen. <laughs> Fun thing about fiction. <laughs> mm-hmm. It gets rewritten a couple of times. Yeah. I, I think that's about all that I've really been doing that's worth worth talking about i think um yeah it's it's been kind of uh kind of slow for me other than that it's just i've been in the mood to watch you know the old treks so that's what's been taking up my evenings and yeah that's a that's about it yeah i'm kind of in the same boat trying to cruise to my vacation uh fit Mm. in our 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 gems that we want to fit in and then uh yeah no i've been tearing through that ds9 stuff awesome All right, well, I'll tell you what, uh, since we're talking a lot of TV, I think this is a good time to take a break, and when we come back, we will delve into a a 1979 made-for-TV movie called Death Car on the Freeway. 
1972, American TV networks canceled 12 TV shows for crimes they didn't commit. These shows were promptly forgotten by the public and faded into obscurity. Today, Chris Cooling researches these shows for a podcast. If there's a TV show that no one else remembers, and if you have earbuds, maybe you can listen to Forgotten TV. On the CBS Tuesday night movie, they call him the Fiddler. His targets, women, alone. He's the death card on the freeway. Shelley Hack is the young newscaster who tries to stop him. Believe me. George Hamilton, her ex-husband. You are scared to death. I might just make it on my own. With Peter Graves, Dinah Shore, and Abe Vigoda in an explosive story of women in jeopardy. The freeway fiddler has killed nine women and will surely kill again. Death Car on the Freeway. Death Car on the Freeway first aired September 25th, 1979 as the CBS Tuesday Night Movie. The film stars Shelley Hack making her television debut with appearances by George Hamilton, Frank Gorshin, Peter Graves, Dinah Shore, and a very brief Abe Vigoda. Uh, director Hal Needham also makes a cameo appearance as the defensive driving school teacher. The plot of the film is that a maniac is cruising the L.A. freeways. Singling out single women driving alone, he terrorizes them with his souped-up Dodge van while blasting electric bluegrass music. Television news anchor and reporter Jan Clausen, after finding the connection between a recent attack and one from several months ago, dubs the psychopath the Freeway Fiddler and makes it her mission to uncover the identity of the driver and put an end to his reign of terror. It isn't easy, however, as the local police chief, played by Peter Graves, is reluctant to believe her theories. Jen's estranged husband and rival newsman, played by George Hamilton, just wants her to give it up and come back to work and live with him. And even her own studio boss, played by Frank Gorshin, is pushing back when car manufacturers start threatening to pull their ads. It's one woman against the world as she takes on the death car on the freeway. And thanks to that wonderful cast list, this was the most amazing film ever. <laughs> um, right up until you watch it. <laughs> oh, ouch. Ah, uh, no, 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 no. I, I, I kid. Uh, the, the, it was actually a fun watch. I thought so, too. Now, Miss Shelley Hack here, she is best known as the, well, not the best known. She probably is the best known for, for playing one year as an angel in its second to the last season as Tiffany Wells. But she was the face of Revlon's Charlie Perfume from the mid-70s until the early 1980s. I've actually read where people kind of put her as like one of the first supermodels. Oh, wow. Uh, just because of her uh, popularity and her success in that career. Uh, she had a couple uh, stints at uh, the major motion picture kind of thing, and then she went to television, this being her first uh, television role, and from there she appeared on a couple other TV movies and several other series, whether, you know, guest spots and the, and the occasional starring role. Uh, she even showed up on uh, Sequest. <laughs> yeah, that's right. She was a, a crazed uh, sub-captain, which was a kind of a neat role. Uh, for, especially since she's usually known as the sparkly one. Yes, remember uh, seeing her name come up, and I was thinking, wasn't she an angel? And it was, so it was kind of nice when I was going a little bit of the research. I'm like, oh, good, okay, I wasn't wrong on this one because there's another blonde actress that I've seen in some made-for-TV movies that I always think is her, <laughs> and it's not. And now I'm blanking on her name entirely, uh, so I couldn't even tell you who it is. Um, if you look up Prisoners of the Lost Universe, whoever it is that stars in that, that's who I thought was an angel. <laughs> she was not. Oh, big surprise. As I was watching this, this was a rewatch. I watched this when it aired. Did you seriously? <laughs> I seriously did. I actually had memories of this film bouncing around in my head. Had no idea where they came from. You're kidding. 
just to even think that it, it sparked a memory at all. Because, I mean, <laughs> okay, I, I, I'll be real. I mean, the, this is this is eminently watchable. Uh, uh, the action sequences on the highway are are fantastic. Uh, there's lots of big name actors in them. I don't know that they're used to good effect, um, but but. If you're in the late 70s, these are the people to watch. Why Why Abe Vigoda? <laughs> and why Abe Vigoda just to stick him in the bed long enough? <laughs> He's on camera 30 seconds in the, as, an, as a hospital patient named Mr. Frisch. Yep. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, uh, sure, they, they got him. <laughs> Paychecks, paycheck. Hey, I get to be on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he spoke, so you know he has to get paid a little extra for an actual speaking he role. He made the opening credits. Yeah, <laughs> not bad for thirty seconds of screen time. Yeah, no, because as this thing started rolling and the the credits started going, I'm like, seriously, all these people are in this movie? Kinda, <laughs> kinda. Yeah, I mean, like Dinah Shore is in this movie. Right. You blink and you'll miss her, but <laughs> she's in it. <laughs> Walking by eating a hot dog, it's... <laughs> in order to get the credit, she had to say something, so she did. <laughs> right. I, I've read about a little, a couple other things uh, for this one, too, because after watching this, I was like, what the hell was that? Because... <laughs> <laughs> Because it wanted to be this this uh, this this suspense thriller thing with the guy uh, hunting people on the highway. It, mm-hmm. it, it wanted to be this um, feminist melodrama where about uh, women asserting their role in, in the world and and everyone is a caricature. Like even if you're misogynistic in your own nature how you deliver a uh, this role and, and the role of some of these men and not go that's a little heavy handed you know strangely enough i actually thought this film walked an interesting line with being very um forward kind of forward thinking i considered it, it to use the vernacular today very woke for 1979 uh, there was a lot of women empowerment and feminist yes. messages. And I actually found that there are moments where you could call it misogyny, but you could also kind of cover it up, or maybe it wasn't misogyny. It was just the kind of typical police chief that it wouldn't have mattered whether the reporter that was trying to investigate this was a man or a woman. He just didn't want a reporter nosing in on police business and telling him he wasn't doing his job. Oh no, I I, I would agree with that. No, the 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 element though where I get our our Peter Graves, our our uh, our police chief here or l- lieutenant as his uh, role was in the movie. Um, no, uh, this is pro. Well, I don't have a definitive picture of what every movie did throughout that decade um this is the first one that i can say honestly that could have defined the concept of victim shaming uh because there is a a blatant uh, she practically calls him out as using that terminology because right she does it's literally trying to blame the fact that women are dying on the road on the women yeah, and, and he gets called out for, uh, called out on it by uh, uh, Jan, and I, I, I'll admit I was kind of I was sitting there watching that. It was, was one of those things where you kind of like you get knocked back. You're like, wait, what? No, that was Did that, that was a great happen? scene, but I, I I almost have to think uh, Peter Graves probably had to chew pretty hard to even say some of the crap that he that <laughs> that the script required him to say because I mean it is pretty awful stuff that he that he is spewing as she is pointing out like well the the women had many uh moving violations she pulls it out and like there are nine women that died and only three of them had ever had a ticket (laughs) like right and they died (laughs) this is not it 
it felt very much, and this happens a lot, especially in the current and in uh, recent news cycles, mm-hmm. where someone wants to take something and spin it to someone's a victim, but oh, well, yeah, but you know, he had a police record. Of, like, excuse me, the, and so that means he should get a bullet. Right. I, yeah. You know, diving back on on the misogyny aspect, or not misogyny aspect as her estranged husband. Um, I don't remember the character's name. Uh, George Hamilton's character. On the surface, you might think that he's trying to say she can't make it because she's a woman, but that never really comes out. What he's He, he does think that she can't make it on her own, but it's because he's it's an ego thing. It's she can't make it without him because he just he's just that awesome. And there's a little bit of a jealousy as she becomes popular and it's looking like he's going to be kind of unseated as like the town's favorite go-to news guy. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Because, I mean, at one point uh, he actually talks to her about she's too nice for this business. And then he proceeds to steal the story out from under her. Yes. His his channel picks up on the, the fiddler and starts running with it as a thing before her channel gets a chance to do it. Yeah, and I wasn't quite sure and it's not really explicitly said in the in the movie is exactly how that happens because he calls her and tells her like, "Oh, I guess you've probably seen it by now. I I only just found out. I just got in." But it's like is he the one that's responsible or is this just coincidence? It doesn't really come across. You don't. You don't know. You don't know how two faced he is. Right. Uh, and, and that just comes from uh, well, whether it's because it's a made for TV movie or uh, the 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 script's not exactly uh, Shakespeare here. So <laughs> so uh, I, I, there's probably some gaps in there that uh, either got left out or we're never there to begin with because it's not um we have to uh comment on the fact that hal needham the director of this uh he's a stunt coordinator <laughs> and that was his uh that was his skill set prior to this film so exactly no that that's exactly true there there are things that probably got cut pages that got left off because we need to get to the action scenes right and you mentioned it too. There's some impressive driving on, in this film. Absolutely. Um, I, I kind of thought the uh, hooked on the uh, the trailer hitch. The trailer hitch was a little hokey. Yeah. But the attack previous to that though was some of the best uh, uh, driving that I've seen in a uh, in a television show or movie. Uh, it, it was really impressive. Um, and it's actually kind of funny because uh, we're watching this in the era of the steel cars. So they're hitting each other and, and they're hitting each other and they're not doing <laughs> yes. any damage to these cars. <laughs> Very little. And you're like, holy crap. This this highway would be littered <laughs> with debris. With fiberglass and plastic, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you couldn't pull off most of that stuff today because you would have just left all of the vehicles in shambles every, <laughs> everywhere. Well, this entire story is a story that can only take place in the time that it took place because, yeah, yeah A, a single tap and your car's destroyed, you know, mission accomplished, uh, and B, cell phones. Right. <laughs> All they have is eyewitnesses, and by the time the police get there, the you know the, the van's gone. The truck, the van is gone. But in today's world, everyone would have their cell phones out, and there'd be videos. There would be CCTV, you know, for traffic uh, uh, television you know, cameras and everything. Um, it just it it couldn't it wouldn't work. <laughs> no, no, it it would never happen now. But uh, this was kind of ahead of its time too, because. Uh, it, it, this is the very definition of road rage, and this is a movie taking place before that term was coined. So, <laughs> yeah, I have to admit, I sat here like, okay, you've already just, you've already kind of pretty much called out victim shaming. That's why I was, I was waiting for 
I was waiting for road rage to come up. Like, is this where it entered the vernacular? <laughs> you can't, you can't, I, I don't know if there was something before that, but this one just pretty much defined that. <laughs> yeah, you were talking about the kind of the mix of genres where it's sort of an action film and it's like this the mystery thriller or whatever. It was sort of a duel of the lambs. <laughs> Nice, nice bashing there. <laughs> we'll contort. There was definitely a, a, a sort of like a dual quality about our driver. No, absolutely. Because we never see his face. We see his hands on the wheel, and we see him plugging in his eight track. I love that. Yeah, the eight track. We do finally get like supposedly his name, um, but we never actually see the person. Right. And how about that music? <laughs> That was the, uh, we can't afford to buy anything. <laughs> Make something up. Well, and I I want to attribute to watching it as a, a, a as clearly a copy of a copy of a copy that made it onto YouTube. But when he plugged in that 8-track, it, it, it came out as this weird squealing half the time. And I'm like, is that supposed to be music? Yeah, they kept talking like it was... I kept hearing like really loud country western and like and then someone else calls it bluegrass and it wasn't until yeah about midway or later in the film that you actually start oh okay that does it's sort of like some sort of electric fiddle or something idea theme uh, I guess that's what else would you call it I I really don't know it's some sort of weird ass bluegrass electronica mismatch the 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 question, this is a technical question, and I realize this is not a movie to get really deep into any kind of technical things, but knowing the cars of the 70s, big steel beasts with V8 engines, um, not a lot of good uh, um, air control over the surfaces and, and through the windows. So if they're all moving at like, 80 90 miles per hour on the freeway and he's playing an eight track in his sealed up van how is anybody else hearing that they're not you're not hearing it especially because they <laughs> he plugs it in and the music starts and they show like a speaker in the dashboard blaring it out right. like yeah no one's hearing and that. knowing <laughs> knowing the in the in-dash stock speakers of that era of vehicle you, you barely hear it in the car. <laughs> well, especially because he doesn't even have the uh, the engine cover on. Right. He's got his big old V8. <laughs> yeah, it's sitting there going... There's no way another person in another car also, also trying to run for their lives <laughs> is hearing the van behind them that is trying to kill them. <laughs> right. And how about all those uh, other drivers on the highway? Uh, <laughs> they just kind of all still hang out where they are. I've heard about, you know, L.A. traffic, you know, and L.A. drivers. I think this is a, probably just a fine example of what it was like in 1979. Fair point. I mean, I have been out to that area, but not in these circumstances. So, <laughs> As I understand it now, there's no way in hell you'd actually get up to no, 80 no. miles an hour. <laughs> it's not even possible. Uh, people walking along the side of the road are making better time. I, I don't even know if you could have done that in real life in 1979. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe on a Sunday afternoon. Well, yeah, they're, they're just following the chips. Uh. <laughs> you know, it's funny you said that. Um, I've mentioned on social media, on Twitter, that we'd be watching this, and I shared a, a clip that I found on YouTube that was the, uh, the first attack by the Fiddler. Yeah. Uh, and because there's no actual trailer that I could find, right. this was labeled a trailer, but it was just the first clip of the attack. As like, well, here, you know, here's a some death car action. Mike Forgetto from the I used to watch this podcast watched it, and he's like, this looks like a chips episode. <laughs> <laughs> not not entirely wrong. In fact, there's some other scenes later on that are even more chips because the cars explode. Oh, absolutely, and we can't ever skip an opportunity to blow up a car. 
Now, right, uh, especially not on chips. Now, while we're talking about the action, and I mentioned the director Hal Needham and being a sure uh, being a stunt coordinator by trade mostly. Um, if you were not aware, he is the actual uh, um, driving instructor in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mentioned that in my synopsis. Well, that, right. That that was minutes ago. Why should I remember oh, that? Right, yeah. <laughs> but. But no, I kind of love that point, and I, and I love that they describe it as a defensive stunt driving course, as if there <laughs> is such a thing. Well, he offered all kinds of stuff. He's like defensive driving, evasive driving, uh, kid, you know, uh, terrorist uh, <laughs> you know, prevention. I'm like, wow, that's a hell of a course. And I love that the fact that his class, you take the class in your own car. Right. <laughs> No safety equipment. <laughs> and he will actually try to run you off the road. <laughs> and, 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 and this is pre-use of seatbelt. Yes. Everyone's just bouncing around. <laughs> I, I couldn't even tell because uh, no, no, no one used it. I don't know if these cars came with shoulder harness. Oh, that's a good question. I have no I don't idea. Know if they were just lap belt. <laughs> My head says someone buckled their seat. Uh, I, I, I don't I, I recall having s- seen a single seat belt in any episode. Oh, I, I want to say someone seat. did, but I could be very wrong. I want to say Jan, maybe in her little Dotson, had a had a shoulder harness, but uh, did, I could be wrong. Kind of like her car. <laughs> you know, that was back when Dotson was a kind of a fun little car. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that that was the Z before the the Nissan got mm-hmm. hold of it. Exactly. No, that was a cute little car. I liked it. Yeah. I actually I had a coworker who owned uh who owned one uh, very similar to that. And it was a very it was a very pretty car. Yeah. But uh getting back to uh while we're on the topic of the cars, um our 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 villain here, the fiddler. Um mm-hmm. who we don't get to spend much time with or really learn anything about why he's doing what he's doing. Um not with any real substance to it. Just what Dinah Shore says. Yeah, and, <laughs> and when we determined that he, uh, where he had lived when he was living there, the woman's describing that uh, she thinks he's just living out of his van. For a guy living out of his van, he can afford to repaint that van a lot. <laughs> yeah, not everything fits together quite as you know as well as the story wants you to believe yeah because that van changed color like at least four or five times and ended with a flame paint job right yeah very detailed kudos to you i guess uh whatever job you have you're using it all on paint jobs i did like a lot of the the reporting that Jan yes. did, we do get to see her actually doing a lot of investigating and, you know, interviewing people, uh, getting like a psychologist to try to do a sort of a, a profile on, on what this person must be. And they use it to sort of um, publicly shame him. Well, he's obviously, you know, a lonely man. He doesn't he doesn't have problem. He has a problem with his, you know, with women and. Uh, it's obviously, you know, he's see, seeing them when they, they cut him off. He's seen it as a sign of aggression and blah, you know, all this stuff. And pretty much saying the guy's got a small penis and he might be gay. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wow. I mean, th- there's just so much that goes into this film that I'm thinking, this feels very grounded in, like, reality. This is the kind of stuff you really would see in some sort of investigative reporting if something like this was really happening. No, in fact, actually, uh, it, it, there's only, I, I was thinking a lot about that because yes, uh, you could have almost turned this into an, an entire movie about an, inve- an, an investigative report of some kind and her being on the trail and doing all this work. Uh, where it gra- ground on me a little bit is because uh, again, this is just, this is pre eighties. Um, and when you get into 80s kind of local news, especially L.A. local news, and there's there are movies about it and all that, is that the 80s is when the concept, if it bleeds, it leads, uh, 
started right, to become right. a thing in news, and, and that's when Cycles, news also yeah. starts become a, a ratings thing. Um, exactly, they're competing with one another to actually come up with the story that is going to be the one that people want to hear about because it's the most sensational, it's the most bloody. Right, right, right. So she is actually developing that right before our eyes. Uh, granted, uh-huh. she is doing a better job because uh, she's making it instructional. Hey, this guy's out here. Here's how you can help yourself avoid him. Mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. At, this is what we're learning so that everybody can help find him. Um, but while she's doing that, it's kind of funny that because she's picking on a couple of pieces about the car, they, they say that... Uh, they're losing sponsorship from from auto companies but i'm like yeah but i have to think at this stage your ratings are probably going through the roof right now on this reporting so yeah kind of shouldn't care <laughs> right so you lose the local dealership but you're picking up everybody else so right yeah that's yeah i didn't they had to give some sort of um uh, they had to give some sort of like more grounded threat sure. than just the fiddler to her, and so that's where they went because she was doing news reports saying that like, look, car manufacturers they sell you the car they want they when they sell you the car they're trying to make it look like if you buy this car you're going to be more masculine you're going to be more attractive, right. um, and she's not wrong. This is the same thing that we dealt with with um, with cigarette advertising. Mm-hmm. And, and why we don't have cigarette advertisements on television and stuff anymore. Because, oh, smoking's manly. And smoking is, you know, will make women want you and all that. and uh, or, or smoking will make you sexy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's exactly what new car manufacturers, and they still do it to this day to some extent. Yeah. Um, I think they've become a little bit better in sort of masking it. Mm-hmm. They use that as the, well, you know, we're getting a lot of pressure from the corporate because, you know, the so and sos threatening to pull their sponsorship. And, you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't keep doing it, but just so you know, um, I did like that uh, uh, Frank Gorshin plays her uh, her producer mm-hmm. or her, uh, the, her boss. And I do like that he was he was kind of stuck having to walk the line. He wanted her to continue. Right. But he has the he had to be the one to go. Just so you know, they're probably going to fire you. They're going to make me fire you. Right. <laughs> right. No, he was trying. Uh, no, I did kind of like and, and wasn't necessarily expecting that. The, uh, the concept of the he, the boss that actually is cheering her on. But. Mm-hmm. knows that's probably not going to end well for her and, and and unfortunately it starts taking that turn because you're a woman and you're upsetting people <laughs> that, yeah, that that's the line bit. of the uh, uh, of the channel she works for is you're upsetting people and you're a woman and that's why you're gonna have to go um but you're right uh and that's where i was going with that why um i was kind of hoping for a little bit more in that category because this had potentials in so so many of those areas where they're on to something here but then we have to get back to the action car bang up scenes (laughs) yeah if you could have if you could have worked in another half an hour of actual story you could have had frank gorshin on the phone with you know the corporate bosses you know, uh, defending her and saying our ratings are through the roof and you're worried about Bob's local GMC dealership and ringing them out and like saying, going to, going to bat for her. That would have been a really great scene, especially because it's Frank Gorshin. Now, obviously I don't want him going full Riddler or anything, <laughs> but this is the most subdued I think I've ever seen Frank Gorshin. <laughs> I, I feel like this movie uh, and I mean, it suffers from its own title, "Death Car on the Highway." Um, you got it. You got to give what the title. Yeah, you got to give the uh, name of the movie. That's what people are in the tuning in for. Right. And what was that Sally Field movie? The one where she's uh, Norma Ray. Okay. Norma Ray. And Norma Ray is about uh, the character Norma, Ray, uh, the the woman Norma Ray, and her fight for uh, the union and all that. I feel like if we had made the um, the driver of this van, the, 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 the incidents on the highway, uh, 
uh, the sub story, uh, make that the backdrop for this woman building her career in TV journalism. I don't know that mm-hmm. you'd get to like a Norma Ray kind of level, but it, you there's potential for here to be way more than it was. There's so much potential here, and it there's so many things that just it just walks up to to, to a line, and then just it it can't cross it because of how much time they have and the fact that they have to get to death car. Um, there is the other uh, female anchor, uh, Rosemary, I think her name is, played by Barbara Rush. She's another woman who's made her way in the industry, but you get the impression she's done so in a very different way than what Jan's trying to do. It. Jan's trying to do it on her merits. She's trying to be a good professional journalist and you get the feeling that Rosemary is popular. You know, she's made, she's been successful, but she's done so by playing the game. Yes. She's made herself, you know, try to look, she, she's gone to try to keep herself looking young. Um, I, I get the feeling that in Rosemary's past, at the beginning of her career, there was probably a casting couch or two involved. Um, Something similar, yeah. Yeah, she makes just comments to Jan just saying, hey, um, you might want to back off on the lipstick. It looked a little too, you know, just if you don't mind some advice and, you know, stuff like that. So she's become successful by playing the game that Jan doesn't want to play. And I thought that that alone was also very interesting, that you had these two women both going for success, both doing it, but doing it in very different ways. No, and that was one of the better scenes, I thought, too, because that, that moment where they're sitting at the the desk and she's actually telling her, you're, you're going to get a shot at my chair. I, I'm, I'm going to go. And she's asking for some additional advice, and there's a moment where Ro- Rosemary just goes, what exactly are you looking for me to tell you? They're at odds. They're, they're trying to help one another, but, n- but they're looking at it from two different sides of the coin and uh yeah no i I thought that was a good scene but this movie had potential for so much more we get into the stuff with george hamilton when she's having those moments where regardless of his motivation and he comes off smarmy um and i think that was entirely the intent of that character but every time he is go- getting smarmy and she is prepared to uh, almost rise to the occasion. She puts on a smile, she laughs it off, and we move on to the next scene. Uh, and that's one of those moments where you're like, no, I want to I see her take <laughs> it to that next level and tell him, you're an ass. And you're not going to do this to me. Uh, Yeah, well, like someone said, she's too nice. Yeah. I mean, she does. She goes to that point, and you're right. She just puts in a smile and says, well, it's late. I think you should leave. Yep, yep. (laughs) And it all ends so kind of nonchalant and and at least jovial. And uh, like this was a moment you could have gotten a little grittier. I think. Right. And again, but that's a, that's a different movie because we got to get to the van that's killing people. <laughs> yes. We got to get the death car. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. This film is so much better than the plot lets it to be. Right. <laughs> Allows it to be. Uh, it's like, like, okay, we've got a great scene and I just see Howl yelling, cut, we got to go crash something. <laughs> <laughs> film was written by a William Wood and I didn't find any other information on him no. um, which is unfortunate I would be very interested to know what else he's done but at least as, uh, as far as Wiki's concerned I couldn't find anything uh, there, uh, he does not have an entry oh I didn't check IMDB IMDB I bet you there's does probably... have uh, quite a list of credits for him starting back Good. in 1963 Excellent. A nice long career. I will definitely have to look him up. Uh, Anything that really stands out? Uh, for you in particular, he wrote some of the Mod Spot episodes. Nice. Yeah, so doing a quick uh, perusal. Uh, no- nothing else s- stands out 
particularly. Uh, like, there's no okay. there's no one great piece that, that that would surprise you. All right, but so, so it sounds like he was definitely a television writer. Mm-hmm. That's how he made his career. Yep. I just I I wonder if he ever got the chance to tell the story like we're seeing here without the death car. <laughs> Interestingly enough, not as much stuff past 1979. So I can't. Oh, wow. Yeah. It shortens up pretty quick. Yeah, that's a shame. Now, I I have to say, when I watched this, um, I did watch it a little too late. And after a night, uh, after the prior night, not getting all the sleep I should have or could have. Um, so I, I did kind of doze toward the end. And when I realized that I had, I, I did back up to, to catch where I had left off. And I hadn't realized wherever I had dozed off, there was only like three minutes left in the film. Because <laughs> I remember the sequence where she's finding out who the guy is. And this is this is what's remarkable about this movie. We've talked about all the good potential. There are some really good scenes. There's some really cheesy stuff. There, there's some, some clearly one-dimensional um, characters in a lot of this while trying to see depth in others. Um, and then you get up to the end, and she finds out who the guy is. The guy is apparently in the area when she has made this discovery. Peter Graves makes good with uh, with our reporter chick because <laughs> yeah. he's like, you were right all along and I have no hard feelings. <laughs> Guess I owe you an apology. Yeah. <clears throat> I'll let you know if anything else that comes yeah, up. Yeah, all, all of that. And she drives off. Death car goes after her. She uses her newly honed skills as a, a defensive uh, stunt driver. His van explodes and a movie. <laughs> yep. Literally. <laughs> Literally. I mean, yeah. Fireball. Done. <laughs> Fade to black. Yep. <laughs> and it faded to black because everything's on fire and <laughs> it's just black in the sky. <laughs> I, I, so I'm like... The fact that I backed up to find out that I had dozed off in the period of time between the solving of the uh, of the mystery and and, and the and a fireball a fireball and I'm like wait only three minutes passed <laughs> <laughs> and we're at the end <laughs> yeah like they wrapped it up in between commercial break pretty much wow <laughs> that was just wow that end. <laughs> We, we've seen some movies that just end, but that just... Done! It's in the can! Send it to the ABC or whoever they'll broadcast yeah. this thing. Yeah, you, you get the feeling that Hal Needham's there at the stopwatch, and 91 minutes. Done! <laughs> we, we fit in time. <laughs> Either that or they're in do you the want to, Do you want to bay. do a scene with... you? Do you want a, a shot of like uh, of Jan getting out of the car? Nope, we're finished. We're good. Roll credits. We're all done. You don't want to have one more crack at jo- George Hamilton trying to make good after she's uh, she's successfully cracked the case. <laughs> yeah, Frank Gorshin getting her giving her her job back. Nope. nope, nope, nope. All done. The network's picking her up as an anchor for all of her good work, and now she doesn't have to work local TV anymore. <laughs> We're done. The movie's done. Did you not hear me? <laughs> Do we want to at least stop by craft services or anything? <laughs> Burt, Burt Reynolds is on the phone. I gotta go. <laughs> uh, no. I can only imagine having watched that in 1979 when it was on, and... You know this is the evening movie. This is the one people have stayed up before their local news to, to, right. to watch. And it's just, zip, bang, done. I, I, I picture everyone at the local news not realizing the cameras come on. What? Oh, we're on? Was <laughs> <laughs> the movie over? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Uh, welcome. <laughs> tap, tap, tap with the papers. Uh, <laughs> catches everyone by yeah. Catches everyone by surprise. <laughs> so anyway, I told you before we recorded. 
I had a little bit of a surprise. Yes, you did. It is time to reveal the surprise. I thought the surprise was that you had seen this before. <laughs> no, that was not the surprise. Ooh. The surprise is I have in front of me an email from Shelly Hack. Do you seriously? <laughs> I seriously do. Her and her husband run a media company called Smash Media. Yeah. I went to their website. Uh. You click on the About Us, and there's a little brief bio of her husband. There's a brief bio of her, and underneath her name is her email address. So last night around 9 o'clock or so, I decided, well, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I fired off a, a quick email. I uh, explained that you know about the show and what, we're, what, we're, what we've been doing, and that I'd watched the show, and then told her uh, a lot about what we've just discussed here, about how forward-thinking, you know, the woman empowerment, the feminist angle, mm -hmm. you know, all this stuff. And uh, and asked her, uh, just asked her a couple of questions about, you know, if she had any memories of, uh, of working on it, you know, did, is that what attracted her to the role, the whole, you know, the female independent and all that stuff and everything. And lo and behold, this afternoon, I got a reply. Wow. So I thought that was very cool. So I will read the email yeah, to you here. Please do. I'm dying. Uh, I, I also did mention that I really enjoyed watching Death Car on the, on the freeway. It ended up being a, a really fun time. So she replies and she says, Thank you for your kind words, Christopher. I agree that the lead character in the movie was very independent for the time, but television films were very much a woman's medium intended for the female TV audience. This as opposed to feature films, which were more directed toward their male audience who bought the tickets. The movie was not directed by one of the guys regularly working in the genre. It was directed by Hal Needham, who was a famous stunt coordinator, had done the Burt Reynolds movies, and was moving and directing. I think a lot of his focus was on the stunts, which was pretty fantastic for a TV film. Hal was a lovely guy, talented and a good old boy. Very respectful of women, but probably in the parlance of the time, not a quote-unquote women's liver. <laughs> Still, the fact that he was re respectful was half the battle when women moving forward. My husband was played by George Hamilton, one of the most charming and hilariously funny people on the planet. He was a hoot to work with. <laughs> I love that she used the word hoot. For myself, I think I always played independent women, probably because those roles appealed most to me. Not much to do if you're just the girlfriend. She says, thanks for including me in your discussion. Warm regards, Shelly Hack. Wow. So I just thought, I mean, it, it was brief and everything, but I thought it was very fun that an awesome that she replied. And it, it's fun getting her uh, her opinion on a couple of her co-stars and, and, and how. And yeah, this is very no, cool. That, that's a nice little turnaround. Nice little treat for this one. Mm-hmm. I suppose what I could have done is asked her if she wanted to actually come on the show and talk about it, but I didn't. Uh, I didn't. I should have. That's <laughs> one of the. <laughs> after you send the email, you think maybe I should have just gone ahead and swung for the <laughs> for the bleachers. Yeah, yeah, you know, but uh, you were also you came up with that in the eleventh hour before, <laughs> like you chose to do this last night. <laughs> Yes, yeah, a little the bit. The likelihood yeah, of being able to get her in time or to reschedule our own recording, maybe not possible, but right, you should yeah. have tried. <laughs> <laughs> the next thing that we watch where you reach out to someone, go ahead and take a bite at that apple. <laughs> yes, yes, well, I'll, I'll try to do so. We'll try to plan a little further or, ahead, perhaps. Or, or, or feel free to include me. Uh, I have a great... Uh, rapport with trying to talk people and the things they don't want to do. So <laughs> <laughs> if by chance you tune in to see what we had to think there, Mrs. Hack, thank you very much for your, your, no, your that, reply. That, it's much appreciated. Uh, yes, sincerely, that was a pleasant surprise for our, uh, for our show, and uh, uh, it was lovely to hear from you. She did a lot of TV work, so who knows? We might uh, bump into her again in our uh, meanderings through the 70s and 80s uh, television uh, landscape. Indeed, yes. As we make our way through our list of uh, movies, perhaps hers will come up again. But I think that is going to do it for Death Car on the Freeway. Uh, it is available on YouTube, folks, if you want to go and watch yep. it. Uh, it's not a bad print. Like uh, Tom was saying, you know, it was probably a VHS 
maybe rip i i think it was but it wasn't an off-air recording which was nice so i think it was at least of like a vhs copy or something like that i'd be very surprised to learn if this was ever released on any kind of dvd <laughs> or laser disc format in its time i could be wrong Next episode, we'll, we will be returning to our MST3K Unrift, and we're going to look at a film that kind of inspired this whole Unrift thing for me. And we're going to look at The Amazing Colossal Man. This was a film directed by Bert I. Gordon. Anyone that has uh, watched enough Mystery Science Theater just knows how much they love to watch Bert I. Gordon films. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Big himself. Uh, this was done, mm -hmm. I think it was one of their earlier episodes, so. if I'm not mistaken. So we'll be we'll be revisiting uh, with Joel, uh, Crow, and Tom on this one. I've been reading a uh, series of books called uh, Keep Watching the Skies, yeah. American Science Fiction Movies of the 50s yeah. um, by uh, Bill Warren. And I... Just uh, just read a, his segment on the amazing Colossal Man. So it's kind of fortuitous Absolutely. that we decided that we want to go ahead and do this one. So we will be back in a couple weeks with that. Until then, uh, go check out Death Car and let us know what you thought. And uh, if you uh, have seen The Amazing Colossal Man, let us know what you think of that one, too. And Shelly, if you're out there listening, feel free to stop on by the show. Uh, we can always revisit this one. Absolutely. I'd, I'd really like to hear your thoughts on, you know, some of our uh, uh, observations of the film. And we can talk a little bit about your, your stint as an angel. And even I'll, I'd like to even know a little bit more about your career as the uh, Charlie girl for Revlon. Uh, I, I have to think that that had to have kind of taken you all around the world. At least that's the, the image that you always think of when it comes mm -hmm. to uh, like perfume ads and supermodels and but that is going to do it for this episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Bye, all. See ya.